You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so today we are finishing this set of sermons called Enjoy. We've been in this for the last few weeks, and uh, the, this whole series is really uh, just a way of talking about uh, what we're about as a church family. Uh, and here's what we're about. It's really simple. We enjoy Jesus, and we make disciples. We take the enjoyment of Jesus really seriously around here, and I hope that you take it really seriously, uh, that, that you are made to be an enjoyer of Jesus. J.I. Packer is right when he says, Knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. That that is who God intends to be for his people. He has made your heart in such a way where it was made to find its enjoyment in the person of Jesus. So if you just think about God like a vast universe, the heart of God, like just the vastness of the universe that, that we know. And in that universe of God's heart, that vast universe... There are endless discoveries awaiting you. That's the heart of God. It's a vast universe with these endless discoveries. And Jesus lived and he died and he rose from the grave, not just to save you from God's wrath, to save you from sin. He also lived and died and rose from the grave to open up God's heart of endless discoveries for you to come in and enjoy it forever. That that is why Jesus has come, to open up God's heart for your exploration, for your enjoyment. You were made for the enjoyment of Jesus. This is what we are. We are Jesus enjoyers. It's what we do. It's, It's what we are. But we don't do that alone. As a church family, we enjoy Jesus together. And it's that last word together that I want to give our attention to today. We enjoy Jesus together. To do that, let's go to Acts chapter 2. It's one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. Peter is preaching to a large crowd and he preaches Jesus to that crowd. And the crowd, the text says, is cut to the heart. And they look at Peter and they say, Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter looks back and says, you need to repent and be baptized. That's what you need to do. And on that day, the New Testament church just exploded. 3,000 people uh, were rescued by the risen Jesus that day. And then in Acts 2, we begin to get a glimpse of the life and practices, the habits of the early church. So in Acts 2, verse 42, here's what we read. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I want to point out and really just give most of our attention today to to these words. And they devoted themselves to fellowship. That word fellowship. I want us to think about that word in the scriptures. This is the first time that that Greek word uh, shows up in the New Testament. It's the Greek word koinonia. That's the word in Greek translated fellowship in English. In other places of the Bible, it's translated into English as something else. So in Philippians 1, that same word koinonia is translated as partnership. So Paul is using it to describe his partnership with the church in Philippi uh, with the mission of Jesus. Uh, In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's uh, translated as sharing or to have in common. So that's koinonia, to to share something or to have something in common. Now, what would you have in common? What would people in fellowship have in common? Well, in the scriptures, we could say this. When when Christians are in fellowship, here's what they have in common. They have the man of Jesus in common. 
Jesus, the one who has rescued them from their sin, the one who has saved them. They have that common salvation in common. They have the man of Jesus in common. But they also have, not just the man in common, the mission in common, the mission of Jesus. They are giving their lives to see disciples made to the ends of the earth. They have the man and the mission in common. That, that's what gospel fellowship is, Christian fellowship. Uh, J.R. Tolkien, he picked the right word uh, when he was describing the nine, right? Here was the word, the fellowship of the ring. Now, that was the right word for the nine because they had, they all shared this, uh, this life-altering mission, a life-and-death mission of taking that ring to Mount Doom to save Middle Earth, right? But it, it, they had a shared mission. That is fellowship. You have to have a shared mission, a shared man and a shared mission. David Mathis is right when he says this about fellowship. True fellowship is less like friends gathered to watch the Super Bowl and more like players on the field in blood, sweat, and tears huddled in the backfield in preparation for the next down. Yes, that is Christian fellowship. You are plotting the next play. There is a mission that's in front of you that you're giving your life to. That's fellowship. And fellowship comes in many forms. It comes in this form, a large corporate gathering like we're doing this morning on a Sunday morning. It also comes in our community groups, the smaller groups that meet throughout our church. And it comes when you're gathering with someone in the church family across coffee. It's you and them, and you're pouring out your heart. They're pouring out their heart. That's all what the Bible would consider fellowship. But it's all sharing the man and mission of Jesus. If you want maybe a phrase uh, that would be a synonym of fellowship, and maybe we could go with something like this. Fellowship in the Bible is gospel friendship. Gospel friendship. That, that's that word koinonia. Gospel friendship. You're sharing the man and the mission of Jesus. Now notice the word devoted. They were devoted to fellowship. That word devoted is also translated in other places as to be constant to continue steadfastly. So it's showing us that, that we're devoted, devoted to fellowship. This was not a spasm of fellowship for the early church. No, this was a practice. It was a habit. Uh, you can think of it this way. It was a priority for the early church. Like the early church was looking at this word fellowship and saying, it's important enough for us to put fellowship in the center of our life and then for us to organize less important things around that word fellowship. So here's the big rock. That, that other things in our life are going to get reorganized and reprioritized around. We are devoted to fellowship. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time asking this question. Why? Why was the early church devoted to fellowship? Why should you be devoted to fellowship? Why is that? Now, I want to give you four reasons for you to be devoted to fellowship. Four reasons. Here's the first reason. You should be devoted to fellowship, gospel friendship, because you were made for friendship. In Genesis 1 and 2, we meet God. And the God that we meet in Genesis 1 and 2, he exists in triune friendship. But, but he is triune. In other words, it's one God existing as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And each of those three persons are fully God. That's the God we meet, a God who is existing in triune friendship. And Genesis 1 and 2 also show us that we are made in the image of that God. That we mirror God in some important ways. So we're learning right off the jump that this is how God exists in triune friendship. And then we're learning that God has made us to exist in community, in friendship with people, that we are communal creatures. 
Genesis 1 and 2 affirm that you need friends, and it tells us why. Because you were made for friendship. You need to be devoted to gospel friendship because you were made for that friendship. Uh, And most of us know this sort of innately. We all know that solitary confinement is a punishment, right? That it's not going to go good for you. Like if you're trapped in that room for a long period of time, you're going to see the unraveling of a human being. And that's true because you're withholding from a human being the very thing a human needs. Gospel friendship, uh, fellowship. You're withholding the very thing they were made for. If you want to see this play out in a video, uh, just watch Mr. Beast in one of his latest videos. If you don't know who Mr. Beast is, just ask one of your teenagers. They'll they'll tell you exactly who he is, right? So here's the premise of the video. Uh, He is, uh, he he willingly allows himself to be uh, locked into a room for seven days. Seven days. A padded room for seven days. Uh, And the light's on the whole time and he doesn't have a watch. And here's what you see over seven days, the complete unraveling of a human being. That's what you find. You would go crazy in that just like he went crazy in that because we were made for friendship. We weren't made for solitary confinement. We weren't made to exist in a room forever by ourselves. We were made for gospel friendship. According to the scriptures, friendship is an essential ingredient of the good life. And for most of us, friendship is one of the most important parts of our life but the least thought about areas of our life. So, so it's an essential ingredient to the good life, but it's a very uninspected area, an unthought about area of our life. Uh, we, we know that our life has necessities. Like we got to eat, we got to get some water, we got to get some of these things. We, we know there's necessities. And then there's the luxuries in life. And most of us would put friendship not in the necessity category, but in the luxury category. But that's not how the Bible sees it. Imagine that your life is a car. Friendship is less like the leather interior in that car, and it's more like oil for the engine of your car. What if life without friendship only takes us so far down the road before the car of your life begins to break down? That's how the Bible sees friendship, as oil in the engine of your life as a necessity. And this is really my angst anytime we're talking about things like this, uh, you know, with our church family, is that we live in an area, a suburb, that is anti-friendship. The whole setup of a suburban area is anti-friendship. And when I talk to, to most people and just can peer into their life, here is what I find with most of us. We are on a starvation diet of friendship. A starvation diet. For some, especially our younger brothers and sisters in the room, there's a growing tendency to overemphasize friendship, which leads to a lot of unhealthy things like codependency and on down the road from there. So that, that is true with some of our younger brothers and sisters. But for most people in this room, your problem is not an overemphasis of friendship, but an underemphasis. Or we could even say this, a total neglect of friendship. And my anecdotal evidence confirms this. When I ask people about friendships, I find that almost everyone has a starvation diet or is on a starvation diet. And I am empathetic toward that. Uh, my, you know, when I just think about my own life, as soon as kids arrived into the kind of space of my life, it's, it seemed to me like space for everything else just evaporated, like overnight. 
To the point where I use this statement a lot when I talk about friendship, but I love this. Uh, I agree with the guy who said, nobody talks about Jesus's miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. (laughs) I agree with that. I mean, you just start putting some things into your life and it's like, where are friendships supposed to fit in your life? But but friends, I want to remind you that Jesus lived, died, and busted out of the grave to give you the gift of friendship. First with God, then with others. That that is one of the reasons Jesus came was to give you friendship. So just look at your life for a moment. Are you rich in friendship? Do you have gospel friendship? Deep, rich friendships in your life. And if you're married, I hope your spouse is a really good friend. I, I hope that's true, a great friend. But if your spouse is your only friend you are on a starvation diet of friendship. Do you have deep, rich gospel friendships? Are your friendships flourishing? We need to be devoted to friendship because, or fellowship, because we were made for friendship. Second reason, we need to be devoted to to gospel friendship because our friends form. Friends form. Friends form us in deep and profound ways. We often say it like this. We make friends, then our friends make us. That's how it works. You make friends, then your friends make you. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. It's why Proverbs 13, 20 reminds us, he who walks with the wise uh, grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. We make friends, then our friends make us. Every person you know is porous. We're constantly absorbing the presence of those around us. Uh, And and you've seen this play out. Have you ever noticed like when you kind of get into a new group of friends, you're like, why do I talk like them now? Like, why do I sound like them? Why do they sound like me? Why am I using these words that I used to not use, but they use, right? This is because we're all porous in that way. You are always doing this. We're always absorbing the presence of people around us. That's what's happening all the time. We make friends and our friends make us. To know where you're headed in life, I don't need to know you. I just need to know your five closest friends. And I'll know everything about the direction of your life, where your life is headed. We make friends, then our friends make us. Friends have this incredible forming power in our lives. If our friends are foolish, Proverbs 13 tells us, we're going to grow in folly. But if our friends are wise, here's the great news. We're going to grow in wisdom. This is how porous we are. Friends form us in these ways. The old axiom is right. You're going to be the average of your five closest friends. That's who you're becoming right now. The average of your five closest friends. And in a lot of ways, I hope that feels like great news for you. Because here's what that means. If you want to have a deeper zeal for Jesus, uh, here is what you can do. You can incorporate into your five closest friends people who have a zeal for Jesus. And if you do that, your heart is going to find itself with more zeal. Your heart is like this little ember. And when you put it in the fire with other people who are hot, it's going to naturally take on that heat. You put it out of the fire with people who are cold, it's going to naturally take on that that cold. But if you want to grow in your zeal for Jesus and get friends who have a zeal for Jesus, and it's going to happen to you, you're porous in that way. We make friends and our friends make us. If you want more zeal for the mission of Jesus, for evangelism, 
Get around people who talk about Jesus to people who are far from the Lord. You're going to find yourself talking about Jesus with people who are far from Jesus. So it's going to happen in your life. If you want to grow in generosity, get around generous people. If you want to grow in, uh, let's just say your love for your spouse and your marriage, then get around other people who have good, healthy marriages. It's amazing how our marriages just sort of adapt to the temperature of our friends around us. If you want to grow in your patience, get around patient people. If you want to grow in your prayer life, get around people who pray. If you want to grow in, just fill in the blank of the area. Friendship is a way to do that. Your friends form. We make friends, then our friends make us. Do you have flourishing friendships? Just look at your life. Are you rich in friendship? Third reason we need to be devoted to gospel friendship is because friends keep us safe. Friends keep us safe. I believe this about me, and I hope you believe it about you. Okay, this is what I believe about me. I am never more than about three seconds away from completely wrecking my life. I hope you believe that about you too. But it's true. I'm never more than about three seconds away from wrecking everything, wrecking my life. Think about um, the Bible, some of the Bible, like the biblical heroes. Uh, we could maybe use Peter or Moses or David, right? All of them experienced the wreckage. They, they all wrecked their life. Uh, Peter denied Jesus. Moses murdered a man. David committed adultery and murdered a man to cover it up. I mean, that's high-handed treasonous sin. Just wrecking their life. Now, what is the Bible trying to show us? The Bible is showing us, in even some of its sort of little H heroes in it, it's showing us that it's not just the worst of us who are capable of wrecking our life, but the best of us who are capable. Like, you are, I am uniquely capable of wrecking everything. I mean, do you believe that about you? It's true about you and it's true about me. We, we have a unique ability to do these things. And one of God's provision, one of his helps, one of his ways of keeping you safe are gospel friendships, fellowship. Here's a picture of gospel friendship. It's Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The author of Hebrews says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Why? Here's why. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, the longer I live, the more uh, simple my ambitions for life become. Here's really the way I would summarize the ambitions for my life. I want to die one day loving Jesus. I want to die one day loving my bride, Laura. And I want to die one day loving Jesus' bride, the church. I, I want to die like that one day. That that's like my simple ambition for life. But, but this text is showing us that there are plenty of enemies to that simple ambition. Uh, here's, here's enemy number one, the evil that still remains in my heart. That remaining sin, that, that's an enemy to that ambition. That, that remaining sin is always just trying to bust out of my life and wreck everything about my life. Right? It, it's in us doing that and wanting that. Uh, that, that evil uh, that still remains in us, it makes our heart prone to, in this text, the word unbelief that shows up there in those couple of verses. Uh, the word hardness toward God that shows up there in these verses. Uh, to believe uh, sin's deceitful lies. 
right? Remaining sin, the evil still in us, makes us very prone to all of those things. And what does God give us to fight against these enemies? The encouragement of gospel friends. Verse 13 again, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Like today is the day to do that exhorting. Today is the day to do that encouragement. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is God's provision for you. Uh, Just look around the room for a moment. Just look around the room and just look at the faces in this room. I know it's weird, but just play with me here. Like just look around the room for a second. This is God's provision for you to keep you safe, to encourage you. Friends who are in your life, who know you, we all need gospel friends for our safety. Uh, The animal kingdom shows at this. If you've watched a show on the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, whatever, and uh, they are in the bush of Africa, right? And uh, you've got the herd and you've got the predators. Uh, Who do the predators go for first? That one that's all alone, right? And, And that's showing us something about the Christian life. It's showing you how badly you need gospel friendship. Isolation makes you vulnerable. In John Bunyan's classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, Christian would have never made it safely to heaven, safely to Jesus, apart from friends. Never would have happened. In the Lord of the Rings, who I already mentioned it, Frodo, he he would have never have made it to Mount Doom apart from his faithful friend, Sam. He would have never made it. And I want to look at you and say this. Look at me in the eye here. You will not make it safely home to Jesus apart from gospel friends. You won't. You will not be safe apart from friends. We all need friendships like this to keep us safe. And, you know, Laura and I, when we look back over the years of our life now together, we have been the recipient of this kind of friendship. For the first 15 years of our marriage, it was smooth sailing. It was all awesome. And then war happened. We fell into Cruddy Valley together. It was a really rough few years. And we oftentimes, as we're looking back upon those years, we'll say something like this. What would have happened to us if we, if we wouldn't have had great friends in our life? If we would have been on a starvation diet of friendship, uh, where would we be today? And friends, I don't know when that season is coming for you, but it's coming. And one of the things I've learned about friendship is it's hard to make them when you're desperate, right? So, so uh, think about a hurricane. You, you know the hurricane is coming in. The proverbial hurricane is coming into your life. You can either begin to do the work of boarding up your life now with friendships, right? That's the smart thing to do. That's the right thing to do. Or you're going to be the person who the hurricane has now hit. It's not out there somewhere. It is now hit in your life and you're out in your front porch trying to board up your house with friendships. It's just really hard to do that in the middle of the hurricane. Right? You do that before the hurricane hits. Friends, that season is coming for you. R- right now is the moment you need to prioritize and be about developing gospel friendships because you need them to stay safe. That You need them for your safety. Uh, fourth reason. Uh, why should you be devoted to fellowship, to gospel friendship? Because friends help us see. They help us see Jesus and they help us see ourselves. What we are, what we're not. We all have blind spots, right? And blind spots, by definition, are things that you cannot see. That you need the help of other people to see, right? And friends really are that mirror that gets held up in front of us to help us see those blind spots, the things that we cannot see. C.S. Lewis has a classic paragraph on this. Listen to what he says. 
He says, you see, looking back, how all the plans you have ever made always have shipwrecked on that fatal flaw, on that person's incurable jealousy or their laziness or their touchiness or their muddle-headedness or their bossiness or their ill temper or their changeableness. So all of your plans have always shipwrecked on those things and other people, those fatal flaws in them. Then he goes on. You, or he says, this is the next great step in wisdom. It's to realize that you also are just that sort of person. You also have a fatal flaw in your character. Now, do you believe that about you? That you do. You might or might not see it right now, but that is in you. You have that. And he goes on, all the hopes and plans of others have again and again shipwrecked on your character, just as your hopes and plans have shipwrecked on theirs. And it's no good passing this over with some vague admission such as, of course I know I have my faults. No, it's important to realize that there really is some fatal flaw in you. Something which gives others just the same feeling of despair which their flaws give you. And it's almost certainly, this is the scary one, and it's almost certainly something you don't know about. Like what the advertisements call halitosis. It's bad breath, right? Which everyone notices except the person who has it. Even the faults you do know, you don't know fully. Which is why you need brothers and sisters in your life. Which is why you need community, gospel friendship, fellowship in your life. is to help you see clearly, to help you see Jesus and to help you see yourself. Are you rich in friendship? Do you have that in your life? P people who actually know you, not just the presentable you, but the unpresentable you. Like the blind spot you, the fatal flaw you, they know, they know that about you. Do you have those friendships? Let me finish with giving you some practical encouragement. The early church devoted themselves to fellowship, to gospel friendship. And let me give you three ways you can do that. Three ways. Number one is to prioritize it. This is way number one, to prioritize it. Let me just put it in a question to you. Will you this morning make the decisive move to prioritize gospel friendship? The most important decision you have to make right now in this precise moment of time is that. Will you give that yes to Jesus? Will you do that? Just right now where you are, you can just say to the Lord, God, I'm a yes to that. I, I will prioritize gospel friendship. I will be devoted to gospel friendship. This will be the main rock, one of the main rocks in my life. And all the lesser things in my life are going to revolve around it. I'm going to cancel things if I have to, move things if I have to, whatever I have to do so that this can happen in my life. God, I will prioritize gospel friendship. That's the first decision. Right now, that's got to be made with Jesus. Jesus, I, I will give you that yes. Will you, will you do that? Friends, I am begging you right now to give him that yes. Would, would you do that? I read a book a few years ago that was talking about friendship. And uh, the author said in that book, he said, you know, having a real friend is almost like having an extra life. I I'm just asking the Lord to convince you right now in this moment to choose that extra life. To give Jesus that yes, I will prioritize this. 
I'm not going to go another day without prioritizing gospel friendship in my life. That's step one, prioritize it. Step two is to pursue it. Prioritize, then pursue it. And I want to give you two ways to prioritize, uh, or I'm sorry, to pursue gospel friendship. Here's the first, is to gather with us every Sunday morning. That you make it a priority to gather with us every Sunday morning. This is one way you pursue gospel friendship. Because this, what we're doing this morning, is an environment where gospel friendships begin to emerge and begin to grow. It's an environment just like this. And you being here is more important than you chasing your kids at the next sporting thing. It's more important than you going to the lake. It's more important than most of the things that take us out of doing this thing right here. It's more important than all of those things. You gathering with us every Sunday morning. And when you come, let me encourage you to come like this. With your eyes up to Jesus. Because this is what it's about, isn't it? We want to meet with the risen Jesus. My prayer for you every Sunday morning when you walk out of these doors is that you could say to someone, I met with God today. So we want to come with our eyes up to Jesus and then we want to go with our eyes out toward other people. So our eyes up toward Jesus and out toward people. Figuring out how can we pray for you? How can we bear your burdens? How can we encourage you today? Just your, your, your eyes are out asking, how can I bless my church family? How can I pour out life into our church family? How can I help our church family? So we come with our eyes up and our eyes out. And I would just encourage you to do this. At the end of every uh, service, there's this little three-minute window. And we just use the three-minute rule as language to talk about it. So there's this little three-minute window for you to be able to look in your little section where you sit and just say, I'm going to own this section. I, if I don't know a person around me, I'm going to get to know them. I'm going to introduce myself to them. I'm going to ask for how I can pray. I'm going to give uh, people ways they can pray for me. I'm just going to be a person who is doing this work of exhorting every time I come on a Sunday morning. Eyes up and then eyes out. So way number one is to gather with us every Sunday morning. For the next five weeks, just make that commitment. In particular, it's the most important five weeks of the year. Make the commitment to be with us for the next five weeks. But every week, this is one way you pursue gospel friendship. Here's the second way, is to get into a group. So gathering with us on Sunday morning is a great environment for gospel friendships to form, but the best environment for gospel friendships to form is in a community group. That's the best place for it to happen. And we have a ton of groups that meet throughout our area. So the problem is not going to be a lack of groups for you, right? There's a ton of them that are, that are meeting. Uh, the, the issue is we've got to step into it. We've got to pursue these things. We have to take that step toward getting into a group. Uh, and uh, coming up on Sunday... It is a step that it's just going to be one of those moments that every one of us have to do. We've got to jump into a group for these next five weeks of follow me. So it's, I'm looking at our whole church family and saying, will you jump into a group with us these next five weeks? And here's why you being in a group is so important. If this is all you do, uh, you can walk in and out of a moment like this and leave and still be unknown. But it's going to be much harder if you get into a group to stay unknown. A group is really the best place for you to be known, seen, and loved by people across our church family. It's the best way for you to do it. So again, we're going to start a, a set of groups next week to make this really easy for you. We're just calling them follow me groups that will coincide with our follow me set of sermons that starts next week. And let me give you the, the quick info on these follow me groups. It's going to make it really easy. If you're already in a group, by the way, it's just be committed to being at your group. But if you're not in a group, then jump into a follow me group. Here's how follow me groups are going to work. They're going to be up here at the building, right? So they're going to be here uh, starting next week at the building. You can pick your night. 
We're going to have them on Sunday nights, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. So they're going to be here at the building. You pick your night, Sunday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and we're going to have childcare. So it's like we're just trying to remove every excuse from all of us for not being able to jump into a group. It's just making it available for every single one of us. So I am asking you, this is a way for you to pursue gospel friendship, for you to jump in with us and follow me group next week if you're not in a group. Every single one of us. This is a way for you to pursue gospel friendship. And in the next five weeks, most important five weeks of the year, every one of us need to be in a follow me group. So there's going to be a QR code up on the screen. You can register online with that QR code. It'll be up at the end of the service as well. And uh, we're going to have people in the lobby. We've got several little iPads out there and little stations for you. You can go sign up in the lobby as soon as we're finished and you can register that way. But one of those two ways, make sure if you're not in a group that you're jumping into a follow me group this week so that we can start next week with you for the five weeks of follow me. So prioritize it, pursue it, and then lastly is to persist in it. Friendship is not easy. This is why the early church had to be devoted to it, right? Because it's not easy. There's a million things pulling you away from friendship, and friendship is just, it's hard. Can you be awkward with me one more time and look around the room? Just look at those faces again. Here's what I know about the faces that you're looking at. Because sin remains in everyone that you just looked at, these are the people who are going to hurt you, deeply disappoint you, say unkind things to you, be difficult to be around. I mean, just all the things. That those are the people that are going to do it. But, now look at me. Those same people also have the Spirit of God in them. Like Jesus lives in them. And Jesus is going to use those people in your life, those very people you looked at, He's going to use them to encourage you so your heart isn't hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's going to use those very people to breathe life into your heart when your life has grown cold to Jesus. He's going to use those very people to bring you back when you wander away from Jesus and you're about to just completely wreck your life. These are the people he's going to use to bring you back. Those are the very people he's going to use when, not if, but when, you walk through valleys of deep darkness. He's going to form these people into the shape of his staff that God will then use to comfort you and to bless you in those dark seasons of your life. These are the very people that God is going to use to bring you safely home to him. So friends, persist in it. Don't give up on it. Stay in it even when it's hard. Move toward it. Friends, can we all leave here today with that commitment to prioritize gospel friendship, pursue it, and to persist in it? Amen? Why don't you bow with me? I want to give you a chance to listen to the Lord here and respond to him. Here's question number one for you. Will you give that yes to Jesus to prioritize gospel friendship? Making this more important than lesser things. Will you do that? Just there where you are, just give him that yes.
second thing, will you give him the yes of pursuing gospel friendship? Being here every Sunday morning, getting into a group, would you give the Lord that yes? And some of us today need to give the Lord that last yes of just persisting in it. Maybe you've been hurt in community, just with friends, and you have just sort of taken a step back in self-protection. Friends, if you stay there long enough, you're going to be in a self-made prison. And the Lord today is just inviting you out of that. So will you give him that yes to persist in it, to stay in it, even when it's hard? And I love that we, uh, in this part of our service, are going to get to take communion today. Because it's reminding us, communion is, that Jesus has spilled his blood and his body has been broken to first and foremost make us friends with God. To open up God's heart for exploration, for enjoyment, for friendship. It's the most important friend we can have is to make Jesus our best friend. And so friends, if you haven't taken Jesus today, take him, throw your life on him, turn from your sin and hold up your life and say, God, I am trusting Jesus. Here I am. And he just stands so ready to save you. And that broken body and spilled blood of Jesus has also given us the gift of gospel friendships, fellowship. So you should have received communion elements when you came in. If you don't have them, there's going to be some up here at the front. You can come up and get them as we sing here in just a moment. There's also some in the back. You can uh, go to the back of the room and get them by the exits. And this is a moment of self-examination. Uh, communion is for those who are in right relationship with the Lord. So if there's anything that needs to be confessed in your life, repented of, this is your chance to do that work with Jesus. And then I'm going to come out here in just a few minutes and I'll lead you as we take uh, the communion elements together. So Jesus, would you come now and minister to us? God, speak to us. God, give us hearts ready to obey. It's in your good name. Amen.